Welcome back to Radar, the only music podcast showcasing the creative output here at ICMP. In each episode, we're joined by artists, students, and industry professionals to take an in-depth look into their musical journey, as well as the projects that they're passionate about. I'm James Arlington, I'm an artist and producer, and in this episode, I'm joined by Jazz Beeson, a London-based songwriter, artist, and producer. A self-proclaimed internet addict, renowned people pleaser and Yorkshire pudding enthusiast, Jazz discussed the release of her latest single Peugeot 205, as well as her new events company Peachy. Jazz, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. This is quite a special one for us because we've been working together quite a lot over the past few months. We have, yeah. We've become like a proper little team. It's fab. We have. You describe yourself as a songwriter, artist and producer and in my opinion you're making indie pop bangers all the time. Oh, thank you so much. Cheers. You're very welcome. Last month you put out your track Peugeot 205, which uh, I may or may not have had a little bit of involvement in. We'll talk about that later on. Uh, do you want to tell us a bit about how you wrote it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, oh God, I wrote it quite a while ago now, actually. I wrote it while I was still a student at ICMP and I remember bringing it into class and I'd finished it and I brought it through as like the pre that I thought was a chorus at the time. Um, the like, I could find a car for set, like that whole bit. Mm. Um, and I just remember like presenting it to the class on Zoom and everyone sort of sat back and was like, I think you've got something really kind of cool and a bit special here. Like nice. this isn't something we'd heard from you before, like in this specific way. And I was like, oh, really? Like I knew I had something that, that I liked, but it's really hard to then figure out whether it's something that other people would like. And then I um, sort of developed it, finished it off, made a demo because I was like mad on sort of producing, making like almost fully producing every single song every single week at that point for uni. Mm. Um, And then started to play it live. And the amount of people after every gig, that was always the one song that people were like, when's this coming out? When's this coming out? No matter what song I was actually releasing, no matter what song I was trying to spotlight, no matter whether where I played it in the set, whether it was with a band, even if I didn't play it, people would be like what's that song about that car? When are you releasing that? Um, So after years of bullying, I'm finally here. I've succumbed to peer pressure. Years of peer pressure have led to this moment. I mean, we've got songwriter on this list. Obviously, we've got artist, but we've also got producer. But for this one, you did work with the wonderful Connor James. I did indeed, yeah. I mean, I took this um, as like a fully formed demo with loads of ideas. And I just said to Connor, like help because I've got to a point and I just can't take it any further to then be happy with it and I'm such a I'm a perfectionist but I'm not at the skill level to be the perfectionist I want to be okay so yeah I took it to Connor who I'd been working with a little bit because he'd been letting me sit in on some studio sessions at the time just to like get some experience like on the on the desk um and he he basically was like just really wanted to work on the song and he really liked it and then he helped me record drums which was I think the first thing we did is we put actual the proper drums that are on the final track on the demo and then left it for months and months and months and we got our friend Benedict to come and do that for us Um, and it was my first like interaction with the two of them like in a in the sense of my music which was very cool and then finally came back to it after again lots of peer pressure and the band going when are you putting a song out? When are you putting a song out? And I was like, oh my God, sorry. Yeah, no, you're right. So then Connor jumped back on it and worked his magic. And I'm really happy with how it sounds. He certainly did. I think you've both done an incredible job in terms of how it sounds and sort of the overall feel of it as well. In terms of the content that surrounded that, obviously we said earlier on that I've sort of done a little bit of work with you and that was on the music video for Peugeot 205. It was, absolutely. And honestly, I am so chuffed with how it's looking. I'm really pleased to have had you and Henry on the team for that. Thank you very much. The wonderful Birdbush Productions little self-promo plug there. It's got to be done. It's got to be done. Little conflict of interest there as well. 
Uh, but if we bring it all back just to sort of where it started before you were in London and before you were surrounding yourself with different creative people and and, and meeting new people, uh, where did it all begin? How did your upbringing and sort of where you're from affect the music that you've been making? I think it's affected me in a couple of different ways. Like one of them being in terms of how much I write about escapism and sort of running away from things because basically I come from a really small town called Grimsby up in the north and there's really it's a lovely creative scene but it's very very small um, and I really wanted to make something of it in the more commercial sense I wanted to go and network with more people hence why I moved to London to come and study but I feel like that sense of wanting to just run away to something more to something different has never fully left me like I feel like it's come through lots of different songs of mine from like coffee machine sounds to when I worked in an office in the summer at a plumbing company and I just really wanted to you know stop making cups of tea for everyone and start actually <laughs> making music um all the way through to you know to this song to Peugeot 205 and it's a little bit about sort of it's different content because it's about leaving someone mm. but it's also got that same thread of like freedom and just leaving everything behind um yeah and I guess the other way it's sort of come up is um again I come from the middle of nowhere so I as a kid right I never wanted to drive a car and I used to live in town for the first couple of years of my life and um I used to always want I was a horse girl by the way for context wow I yeah. didn't know that yeah I was a big horse girl <laughs> um I, I never used to talk about it because I tried to shake that but anyway we're right. back I'm back to owning the horse girl thing anyway always used to say oh I, my dream is to just ride a horse around instead of having a car and then we moved out into the middle of like absolute flipping flipping nowhere like <laughs> one bus a day nowhere and it's called the 50p and it costs like more than 50p it costs like four pound oh. every time you want to get into town um and yeah then I realized I had to drive and then found the freedom that came with driving and then my like friends and my team always talk about how I put car references into all my songs and I don't even mean to but it's part of coming from the middle of nowhere coming from a small town where the only um the only leisure activity, let's say, is to go and sit in Tesco car park with a meal deal <laughs> or like to go driving down the seafront and go for a little spin and see what's what, grab a McFlurry on the way out, other ice creams are available. Um, and I actually think that's worked its way into my music like fully because I flipping love driving, like mm. I'm a driving girly all the way through, like I drive a little Fiat 500 and if I could sing about that car every single day, I probably would. I mean, how is that for you then growing up and going to gigs and stuff like that being in the middle of nowhere? That's why I had to drive super duper early, honestly. Like as soon as I turned 17, I would have a driving lesson, if not from my dad or an instructor every day wow. till I passed my test. It was that dire. And um, But before that, my dad was a DJ actually growing up um, in, the, in my hometown. So he knew how important like the music scene was to me and how much I really needed to sort of help me get out there and get playing gigs. So between him and my mum and my nan and my sister, everyone would drive me to a different gig every week and every weekend. And then as soon as I got able to drive... My nan bought me a little yellow car and I drove that around for a few years and gigged in that in the Lemon. I think that it's different for everyone in terms of like growing up and going to gigs and sort of that. But what sort of music were you listening to growing up? I was listening to so much country music. I was a massive country music girly. Wow. Um, I used to make country music when I started at ICMP. Um, I was like a proper, like the chicks, Joni Mitchell-y, like kind of Taylor Swift but not really kind of girl <laughs> and then I went to Nashville actually and decided I didn't want to make that music but that's a whole other story and yeah I mean I listened to a lot of the chicks growing up a lot of Dolly Parton a lot of Joni um a bit of Shania Twain like honestly the women of 
the women of country music raised me. And I'm very grateful for it, actually. Has that sort of stuck with you now in terms of what you listen to? How has that shifted? Definitely still love a country album, a song. Um, I love the whole vibe of it. It's so fun. It's so, like, heartwarming. But I definitely have shifted into the more, like, pop and indie world now. Yeah, and I think, obviously, that's reflected through your music. Um, let's talk about the bands, because the bands are sort of a recent addition for you, in a way. How did you all meet? We all met in various ways through uni, actually. Um, although, so we'll start with Connor James, who's my producer. Um, he, we met, apparently we met in my first year of, of study. I don't remember this. He does. <laughs> and he likes to pull me off on this all the time. He's like, we met, we worked together. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Um, but we met as I finished my degree and I actually started an internship in like music production. And yeah, I wanted some more studio experience. So I messaged him on Instagram being like, yo, can I come sit in on some of your sessions? And at the same time, he was moving house and had actually viewed my flat that I was leaving. What? Um, yeah, it was really weird. And he wow. was like, I've seen your house. And I was like, that's weird. It's a bit creepy. Yeah, but we bonded over it. So it was kind of mad. Um, and then it sort of went on from there. And then we started playing open mics together, usually really drunk and it was really funny. Um, and then Luke, I met through Songwriters Circle. So he watched me play the Songwriters Circle that I did with Ola Gartland and sent me a message like, yo, do you want to write a song? I'm on the Masters. Would really think it'd be cool. I think our styles would go well together. So we had a few sessions and our friendship bloomed from there. And then Dylan, I actually went to school with Dylan and then one day walked down the stairs at ICMP and there he was ready to audition. And I was like, this is the spookiest thing ever. Um, he actually recorded drums on my first EP when I was 17 um, to a song called Don't You Know in my college studio. Um, and then, yeah, we were on the circuit together when I was like 17, 18 in college. And now we're back on the circuit together. But he is my wonderful drummer. That's so sweet. And it's funny that you mentioned some of that older music because it's sort of been racking up the streams on Spotify again recently. Oh my God, it has. And I actually can't get my head around why. Well, I've looked into why and it's been added to so many different like artist radio playlists, right. which is not really an avenue that I ever thought was sort of standard for Spotify. Because no. when people talk about you getting on playlists, they talk about either user curated ones. So like tastemakers, that kind of thing, mm -hmm. or through Spotify editorial, which are both very like gatekeepy avenues to go down. So everyone just writes off Spotify as this big like wall of nothingness that you'll never break through you'll never get through it unless you've got xyz unless you know these people or that people but actually mine was all algorithm based and got picked up for a couple of playlists last year like artist radio and they did okay so the the system i suppose has just been tr trying it out and testing it out on more and more mm. and one tiny little bookend intro to the ep track short sweet summer is now at like over 40k streams which, That's crazy. Right? So weird. I've never once promoted that song in my entire life. I've spent no time on it. It's always the ones that you least expect, though. And it's annoying because it's always the ones you put the least amount of effort in. Yeah, definitely. And it, like, I love that song and it holds a special place in my heart, but I know it's not my best song. Yeah. Like, objectively, I'm aware of it, but it's obviously some people's favourite song. Yeah, I think that's the thing. You've, you've always got to consider that it's going to be different for everyone. And I've only got a couple of songs out, but the one that I thought would do better didn't and it's, Weird, it's, isn't it? it's frustrating because especially when you put more effort and more love into a project like it can be tough but when it comes to distributing your music like do you is it a stressful period for you how, how do you sort of find putting out your music I won't lie it's stressful and like I live in a house of musicians who are going through the same process at pretty much the same time mm -hmm. and it's a roller coaster of emotions for all of us um it can be quite tough but 
it's a lot of fun and it's very rewarding, but it feels like every time you do it, you've got to climb like a brand new mountain. Yeah. Not to sound like Miley Cyrus or anything. Oh my God. Um, sorry, I, I have to mention Miley or Hannah in every interview I do. There's got to be serious. a plug somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I just love her so much. Um, no, but it is like you're at the bottom of this mountain and you're looking up and thinking, I've got to do all these different things, whether it's um, like Instagram or TikTok curation content on threads now, whether you are sort of making music videos like we've done, whether you're working with press and PR and marketing and radio pluggers and all these different things that people are sort of yelling at you you should do this you should do that like you've got to do all these things but you can only do so much stuff and you can only do as much as you can feasibly do while maintaining your well-being and i think it's important that to get to that point where you sort of put your foot down and go right i i might need someone else to help me with this because I think that growing up, and especially when I started putting out music, I wanted to do absolutely everything independently. Me too. And it's tough because you, you're you putting a sense of responsibility on someone else, but you're also trusting them with your vision and it can go either way. Definitely. And that's why I reached out to, to you and Henry at Birdbush because I knew what you did. I trusted you. But then I also like it's always a leap of faith but because we got mm. on quite well as like friends and colleagues through ICMP like it yeah. made sense to just give it a jump and honestly the pressure that's come off me for allowing someone else to like take the helm of creative vision it's been really freeing and it's allowed me to actually focus on the stuff that is a little bit more my niche because I am not a graphic designer I am not a visuals person I'm not a videographer and I'm aware of all these things and sometimes I think we have to you know try and convince everyone that we are all of them or we think we have to pay someone thousands of thousands of pounds for them to get it wrong yeah especially in London as well yeah and it's not the polar opposite thing you can find someone in the middle who gets your vision who respects you who wants to work on your team not just like pay for a service they give you a service like it's quite special when you find those people yeah and I think that that's why I I sort of cherish and appreciate the work that I'm able to do so much because yes it's a different process every time but it still comes back to that same rewarding feeling at like a release or at the end of a project and I think that's really special no matter who you work with. Yeah absolutely and it is really a privilege to get to work on music a lot of people want to be in our position Mm. either studying it or releasing it as a professional or you know a whatever you are doing but it really is like a bit of a dream come true no matter at what stage in this whole process you're at yeah definitely and I mean I'm really happy with like how the video turns out and like obviously our creative process all the way through and hopefully that will continue at some point in the future who knows I really hope so I hope so as well let's move on and let's talk about the start of another venture for you your events company Peachy that you started with the wonderful Macy Naya Uh, do you want to talk about maybe how that all came together and a little bit about the event that happened at the start of this month yeah definitely I mean Peachy was um, an idea that me and Macy brainstormed I think over a coffee most of our meetings are over coffee because we are addicted yeah (laughs) It happens, it happens when you're a musical professional, you're just always on the caffeine. Do you know what though? I wasn't really a coffee drinker before I moved to London. Really? Like, ev- changed every you? now and then. Yeah. Whereas I don't rely on it, but now I'm like, oh, I could do with a coffee. Oh, do you know I what just, I mean? You know, cheeky cappuccino. And you've got the Pret subscription. Yeah. And other I would be coffee like, brands are available. I was going to say other subscriptions are available, but they're not. Um, <laughs> listen, I'm an advocate for the Pret subscription because, especially if you split it with someone, because it uh, mm. makes it quite cheap. I had it's one gone on the way up in. though, hasn't it? It's 15, no, it's 30 pound a month, but me and Macy pay 15 each. See, I remember when it started, it was only like 20 quid, wasn't it? Yeah, which is why it was a lot more worth it at the time. But, right. you know, they've got to make it financially worth it. Because if you're getting five coffees a day, <laughs> you're like rinsing them. Yeah. It's mad. Anyway. But do you have five <laughs> coffees a day? Between me and Macy, most days we'll have at least four. 
between you is fair enough. Yeah. But I don't I don't think I know anyone that has five. Okay, I'm getting off track. Okay. <laughs> I love it. I'm a prep advocate. But yeah, so Peachy started a while ago over coffee. Me and Macy were talking about trying to book gigs because obviously we're both artists. We both have now got bands with us that we sort of gig with. So we are trying to book these support slots or decent gigs and we're moving on past the world of sort of open mics and mm. open slots and no paid gigs because we are working professionals now. And we looked at each other and thought, God, wouldn't it just be so much easier if we just did it ourselves rather than trying to find all these promoters and wade through the the tide of slightly questionable promoters <laughs> and actually last year as part of our like the girls all finished uni like our girl group um with us at uni and um, they all finished their degree like the year after me and we all said to celebrate we wanted to put on a gig so before it was peachy we had like Gaslight Gatekeep Girl Boss. Um, what a name. Yeah, I know, right? Unofficial, unofficial. It's never going to be called that in a professional realm. Such a shame. I know, it is such a shame. But yeah, so we put on a gig last year and it went really well and we had a really nice time and we thought about what a lovely experience we had, although it was slightly stressful, but we got the chance to facilitate that and curate a positive experience for both the audience and us as artists. And I think it's really important to foster both of those experiences just as much. Mm. So... We've started Peachy. And what we wanted to do with Peachy is create that that room, that space, that live show that one puts on absolutely sick artists, like just people who you're like, yeah, they're going to break next or they're currently breaking or they've just supported XYZ or they've just put out this really cool EP and it's doing really well or they've got some interest from different people. Like we want to, you know, spotlight these people who are so on the edge of breaking out into whatever scene they wish. And then... Two, we want to make sure that the artists then have a really positive experience. Even little things like making sure the green room is like safe and friendly and you feel like supported and not intimidated by mm. being in a venue. Um, to the sound engineer being nice to you. To, you know, the communications around the gig being great. I want everyone to have an advance of what they're going to be doing on the day, where they need to be, what backline they've got. And we want to make sure it's promoted properly because the amount of promoters that go, yeah, we're going to promote your gig, take loads of money off you and not actually flipping promote it. They or make the you do it. they provide you oh, are just are not just, up to scratch. Yeah, they're not up to scratch a lot of the time. And, I, and sometimes it is down to personal taste, of course. But sometimes you just look at it and think, you, it was done on paint. Yeah. And Anyway, and three, we want to champion, um, especially people who don't necessarily have an already achieved level of privilege in the music industry. So for example, we want to champion women, we want to champion the queer community, the non-binary community, lots of people who don't necessarily already have that leg up yeah. that a lot of people in the industry have. Um, and yeah, we want to create a really wholesome space for people to network and there to be a sense of community and support and everyone needs to get paid fairly, like all these things. And we just, we've basically picked out all the things we didn't like about our other experiences, all the things that we didn't find valuable and just flipped it around. And I think the reason I admire that sense of perspective from you and Macy so much is because you've come into this as artists and as creative practitioners where although there's a large amount of promoters in London that love music and across the UK that love music but don't necessarily understand the personal connection as a performer, you guys have sort of been through it yourselves. And yes, there's still a small amount of promoters in London and in the UK that have that perspective. But I think that the reason that you're doing so well, and I think the reason you'll keep doing so well in the future is because it's tailored and it's personable and all the artists that you're working with, you're genuinely big fans of. Absolutely. And I think the fan thing is really important. Like we 
love every single artist we've spoken to or booked for playing for the for the foreseeable for the rest of the year and we want to support people that we genuinely care about because we'll work harder on it we'll want to be there more like i would never want to be the kind of promoter who books a lineup that they haven't really curated that doesn't really go together sometimes they don't even show up on the night they leave you with a sound engineer that is okay but doesn't necessarily make you feel super supported Mm. and then runs away with a good chunk of the money. Like you look at some of these promoters and some of the gig fees, like um, like ticket fees, and you think, okay, so you're charging £15 on the door to get in. You're only paying your artists though, like 30 quid each, but you're packing out that room. The promoter's not even there. The sound engineer I know isn't on much money because I know this industry. Where's that money going? Yeah, and you have to question that even when you're watching a gig, I think, as a consumer as well. Like where's that money gone and who's being paid fairly? Because it's it's different every time and most of the time, unfortunately, it's not the case that it is fair. It's true. And all we want is for people to feel like they've not been cheated. Mm. And the bar is so low that I feel like we really don't have to do much yeah. for it to be better. But we want to do as much as we can. Absolutely. I mean, the, the show you did at the start of the month at the Camden Club, uh, what was what was the lineup like? Oh, do you know what? The lineup was really nice because it was like um, uplifting and empowering pop, I suppose. Right. Um, we had um, Mason Aya, yeah, who's like bubblegum, women empowerment. We had um, Lorana, who's very like self-reflective manifestation, like electronic pop. And then we had Tragic Sasha, who's a little more a little more on the like emotional and reflective side. Like I think she calls herself like sad girl pop, which I think is really cool. Nice. Um, but they all worked really well together. We had such a nice community feel at the event. Like we were just really proud of of, of all the artists and all the people that showed up for us as well and mm. understood what we were trying to do. Yeah, and it's such a lovely venue as well. I love the Camden Club. It's got a special place in my heart and every venue has its pros and cons, but that one for me is just a special little corner of Camden. Mm. I think my only cons are the big bollards in front of the stage. Like the, oh, so the, the, the pillars, sorry. That doesn't even bother me. Really? The, the glass walls in the toilets freak me out. Oh yeah, the glass walls in the toilets are a yeah, bit scary. That when and especially when the lights is, aren't on. Oh my God, yeah, it's it's not not my fave. And <laughs> listen, if I could redesign that venue, almost the only thing I would do is change the toilets, mm. which says a lot about how nice the rest of the venue is actually. I've never had the food there though. Oh, it's really good. Is it good? Yeah, it's good. Hell yeah. Good I burgers. mean, yeah, I need, I need to go there more often. It is one of my favorite venues, yeah. but I... And there's not many places you can get a burger and stand and watch a gig at the same time or sit. But like yeah. most places you have like a bar and some snacks and then a venue and it's always a bit like dirty and greasy. Mm. But this place has like top tier food, nice drinks, nice vibes. Obviously London has some of the best venues in the UK uh, subjectively, but how what were the venues like in your area growing up if if any? Um, obviously this is a podcast so you can't see my face but I just pulled a very like oh, <laughs> oh I don't know about that kind of face um, the venues changed a lot because of Covid but pre-Covid when I was like well into the scene we had a lovely venue called Moon on the Water which was right on the beach and it was like the venue in Grimsby and Cleethorpes that everyone wanted to play at nice. we had like a little festival that was run there it was run by a really great guy who was like a pillar of the community um, like a bassist and a band like he loved it and he cared about it so much then we had a place called Yardbirds which was a rock venue I've never been I was never old enough to go and then when I was I was at Moon on the Water Right. and then the only other place I can think of and oh my god if I've forgotten somewhere I'll feel really bad was a really dive 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 bar called the spider's web which i actually reference in my song finn because it's just such such an iconic little like one of those places greasy sticky carpet venue oh that every town needs 
Every town needs I one. I feel like every town needs one. Uh, and unfortunately, a lot of them have been shut down at this point. Yeah, I don't actually know whether it survived COVID. And I'd be really sad if it didn't, because it was a weird cornerstone for the community. Right. But in terms of things you've got coming up for Peachy, what can we expect? So we've got two more shows for the rest of the year. We've got one in September, one in October. The September one is on the uh, 8th of September and we're really excited for it. We'll be announcing a lineup like pretty soon if we haven't already. And you can find us on at Team Peachy, but with two Ys on Peachy on Instagram. Two Ys. Two Ys, because one Y was taken. That's such a shame. Yeah, I know. And we didn't want underscores or dots or anything. But yeah, so our show um, will be happening that weekend in September and then the first weekend in October as well, which we're super excited about. And I will actually be playing the October one, which is super exciting. I'm going to announce that now, nice and early. Wow, exclusive. Exclusive here for you. I do like an exclusive on the Radar podcast. Absolutely, and you deserve one, James. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I got one from Killian last month as well. Oh, amazing. So, yeah, exclusives all rounds. But apart from that, what can we expect from you in the future? What's going on as Jazz Beeson? Well, after this release, I'll be heading back into the writing room, as it were. I mean, last year, I tasked myself with writing 52 songs, one for every week of the year. I think he ended up with 53, actually, in the end, just to, wow. like, you know, just sprinkle that on top. Um, but I had a lot to work through, apparently. But I don't necessarily have all of those that I want to put out. It was more of, like, a... It was a writing exercise. It was, it was a personal challenge to myself, like, after finishing my songwriting degree. Like, that 52 was the most I'd ever written in a year, which says something considering I did a very intense writing degree. It is crazy. Yeah, it was wild. And to be honest, they're not all finished and they're not all perfect, but it wasn't about that. It was about the whole Ed Sheeran thing of you turn the tap on and all this weird brown water comes out at first and then the clear stuff but yeah, comes eventually. later. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I know in there there's maybe four to six songs that I'd be like, four to six, by the way, not 46, <laughs> um, songs that I'd be like, yeah, do you know what? I really, I back that. I back what I've said. I back mm. the way I've said it. Um, for me, it's all about like, story and process over anything else so i think it comes from like the country music background like the storytelling stuff yeah so i just want to get in and write some more finish off some of those take them to connor in the studio see what he's got for me see what he can work with um and yeah go from there i've got no immediate plans to release another few singles but i think it's the start of me forging out the next era right mm. we've sort of strayed away from the people pleaser era a little bit. And do you know what? I released that song, People Pleaser. And then for months afterwards, people were getting like genuinely annoyed at me in life going, oh, but why are you doing that? Oh, I thought you weren't a people pleaser anymore. And I was like, hang on a minute. That song says, I'm a people pleaser. It doesn't say I was a people pleaser. Mm. But now I'd like to think I'm in recovery. Wow. I'm learning. That's profound. I'm learning how to be, you know, I'm learning how to put boundaries in place. And this new era, I'm not, it's not going to be called like the anti-people pleaser era by <laughs> any means, but it's going to delve into a little bit more about me understanding what I want in life. And I actually think that Peugeot 205 coming out was a nice way to sort of catapult into that because mm. Peugeot fit in the people pleaser era because it was me going, oh my God, this person really likes me. I really should, you know, say all the right things, do all the right things, you know, marry them, go live this perfect life. But what I want is to run away. And it was, you know, a hypothetical song, which did actually come true. And it seems to have manifested itself into me recovering from people pleasing. I think that's a really interesting way to end things off, really. Uh, but where can people find you? Plug yourself, you know, do, do all the things you need to do. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. I am Jazz, Jazz Beeson. I'm chronically online. I have an addiction. So if you want to find me on TikTok, threads, Instagram, Facebook, 
the only one I'm not on is Twitter because the place scares me. Um, <laughs> but I'm at Jazz Beeson, J-A-Z-B-E-E-S-O-N. And yeah, I'm always on there chatting absolute rubbish. So come and join me. So fun over there. And, and Threads. Threads is still quite a recent thing. I, I don't really get it. It's new, it's baby, but it's like if Twitter were slightly more random and wholesome, like everyone feels like they're currently on a school trip. Like I'm obviously recording this in the first few weeks of threads, mm. but everyone feels like we've all come on a school trip. We're all looking around going, well, what do we do now? <laughs> we've got all this freedom in this new place, but we don't know how to put it. Um, it will probably turn toxic in like 18 months, but let's enjoy the golden months. While we can. While we can. I haven't posted a single thread yet. That's okay. You've got time. Yeah. Or you don't have to at all. There's also that corporate expectation which with threads where every business in the world is trying to get on it and their their sort of marketing team are like, right, we've got to get on threads, you know, we've got to post five times a day. And yeah. I, I don't really understand it. I really feel for all the social media managers of the world. Mm. They've Their jobs has just got genuinely about 20% harder, like 20% more stuff to be doing. But yeah, we haven't got a peachy account, but, you know, we're on there on our personal accounts at the moment because I don't want to do the corporate thing either. No. No. It just doesn't feel very genuine. It doesn't, no. And I don't want to have like a corporate peachy voice. I want it to be me and Macy putting on some really good gigs and our name is Peachy. I don't know. Maybe one day I'll get Burbush on there. But Maybe. until then, I'm enjoying the freedom of it. Yeah. Thank you very much for joining me, Jazz. Thank you for having me, James. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Radar. If you enjoyed it, be sure to rate it five stars through your podcast platform. Remember, you can catch us on social media through all of the ICMP channels. And if you want to get involved in future episodes or suggest guests, you can email us radarpodcast at icmp.ac.uk.